Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. There you are. Here I am, Aaron Noonan here, V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Castrol in 2024, back with you for another week. Thanks for tuning in and spending some time with me, whether you're driving around on your way home from work, to work, however you are consuming this podcast, I wanted to say thank you. Thanks for giving us your ears. We've got another great chat coming up for you on this episode, and a little thank you too to everyone last year that tuned in. Over 370,000 listeners in 2023. This is year number six of the V8 Sloop podcast, and we are not even close to running out of gas. Another big year coming up, another big ep today, and I thought given this week that we're heading into the race week of the Repco Bathurst 12-hour, I thought it was pretty timely to go and talk to one of the guys who won the first one back in 1991. Now, Peter Fitzgerald was the king of production car racing over various decades, rule sets and types of cars. But his win with Alan Grice and Nigel Arkell at Easter in a Super in 1991 will forever sit in the record books. And on this chat, he reveals the tiny prize, very literally, he got for winning the inaugural race. And he lets us in on a little untold story of how one of his co-drivers was, well, allegedly caught a little busy before his stint. You'll find out what I mean a bit later. Now, Fitz has been battling something pretty nasty, cancer, and he opens up about how he's battling it too. As you'll learn from this podcast, if you don't know him, he is a bit of a stubborn bloke. He's outlived the initial time the doctors gave him when he was diagnosed. He's always up for a chat. He's always good for an opinion. This pod is part one of a two-part chat with a guy that's raced just about everything. This is a real V8 Sleuth special. Enjoy this one. Peter Fitzgerald of the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Castrol, our chat recorded on the kitchen table at his place in the east of Melbourne. Fitz, good to see you, mate. It's been a little while. Thanks for taking the time to sit down on the V8 Sleuth podcast, but... um. We do have a lot to talk about here. There's just a, your body of work is rather impressive. Thank you very much, Aaron. Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, I didn't start till late in my life, which was like 27. Really? Yeah, that's there's, when I, there's kids now who are in Formula One before they're 18. I know, I know. And I, I started, you know, because I didn't have a what you'd call a rich parent to put me through motorsport. I had to back myself, mm. and uh, I was working as an accountant at that time. And I had my first Porsche, which was a 2.4S, joined the Porsche club. Um, and I used to sneak out to, um, Calder in my lunch hours <laughs> to, um, uh, to learn off Frank Gardner. He had the Bob Jane Frank Gardner driving school. So I'd shoot out there at lunchtime and, uh, I'd what, do. What was your excuse? What well, did you tell everyone you were doing? Well, I was like account manager there. So, and where, where was where were this you? This was Stephen Datner Furrier's mm-hmm. in um, in um, Carlton, uh, Fitzroy, and uh, I'd just say, right, I'm ducking out. My hours were my own. Yeah. So I'd go out. I'd be about an hour and a half by the time I got out. I'd go out quickly, but I'd come back quietly because <laughs> I got it out of my system. <laughs> yeah. So I did that for about twelve months. And because uh, I, I was running in the Porsche club and wanted to do better and uh, a little 2.4S, which was a great car. And uh, I went up to Frank and said, um, Pete Gagan's car became up for sale in the Lorex Porsche. And um, I said, look, I'm thinking of buying a race car, uh, but I don't want my ego to run away with my pocketbook. <laughs> and he just said, well, you listen, you learn and you're improving. Go buy the car. That's where, it's, that's where it started. The, Frank pops up in your motor racing story a bit later on in the time. We'll get to that with the BMWs and, yes. and Bathurst and, and driving Denny Hull. But if you started so late, were you interested in cars as a young bloke? Was there Always. exposure to it through the family or friends? Or Always. Did you, you go to races as a young bloke? Yes, mate. I, I My first car was a GT Cortina, oh, 1965. Speedy. Oh, Bathurst special type, right? you know. Yeah, and... Um, 
I used to, I actually went up in that car at Bathurst and got booked in it on the way back. Um, anyhow, uh, that's another story. And then I had a series of, uh, Cooper S, uh, XU1s, uh, before I came down to Melbourne. Uh, and I went to places like Warwick Farm to watch the motorcycle. So where did you grow up? In Sydney. I'm right. in Sydney, uh, yeah. Cronulla Southern District. Yeah. Um, Shire Boy. Shire Boy. Yeah. yeah. One of them. Yeah. So I was doing that in between playing rugby because I played grade rugby in my youth. And then um, I moved down here, I think I was 21, 1971 or something, and um, joined Powerhouse in, Mel- in Melbourne and um, uh, was playing r- rugby union here at that time. And then gradually, I think when I started racing in 77, um, I bought the Gagan car for the princely sum of $12,500. Which at the time... Wouldn't you like to do it now, mate? (laughs) Right? (laughs) What's that thing worth? Yeah. And it blew up in the second race that I had it. Oh, no. And Alan Hamilton bailed me out and helped me out. And I think I rebuilt the engine for three grand. Well, I build engines at the workshop now, mate, and if I could do an engine for three, <laughs> I'd go, he. <laughs> but your customers would too. Yeah. So at this point, you are a enthusiast who has got the bug, yep. who has got yourself into a position to be able to, all right, I'm going to go and do this. I've had a bit of a taste out at Calder Belt and Round. Yeah. How are you funding this? Is this purely coming out of your pocket? Is there Absolutely. friends helping? Is there someone along the way that's got involved a- here? Absolutely. Um I knew I had limited funds, and the first car I bought, which I said was twelve and a half, I think I had fifteen grand cash on me. Mm. So what I did, I went and saw Bob Jane, yeah. had a word to him, and he had a company called I think it was Maitland Finance or something. Anyhow, he financed twelve and a half grand for me, and uh, no, I tipped in. Yeah, I tipped in two and a half grand, and he funded it, and I. Um, I uh, used that 12 and a half that I had left to help run it. And my first race was at Hume Weir, which Frank was in, in his Corvair. And I think it was the last race they had up there. Mm. Anyhow, I had the illustrious um, <laughs> um, situation where I spun in front of Frank in a race. <laughs> but, that uh, was not part of the coaching. No, no, and I didn't do any damage. <laughs> and he didn't abuse me afterwards. <laughs> so that was my first race. And then the second one was at Sandown where the engine gave way. Mm. Not a good start. No. And Slightly auspicious start. Yeah. So I worked really hard on trying to get sponsors. Grand here, 1,500 there. And I just had to be really persistent. I guess if there's anything I've done through my career, it's persist. Mm. When... When the chips are down, you just got to keep knocking on doors, you know. One will open somewhere. Somewhere, somewhere. along the line, I figured. And, and my experience tells me that you can't beat networking. Mm. So even if my friend hasn't got the money, he might know someone that does. So um, I had a number of people in my, in my life that I'll never forget that supported me that way. Um, and that was how... I tended to fund the race programs. It's kind of the the motorsport secret sauce. And we get a lot of young drivers who ask us for advice through media or in sponsorship and that type of thing. And it's kind of that thing of it's not what you know, it's who you know. And Correct. the only way that you get to know anybody of the who's is by going and meeting people and putting yeah. yourself in places and opportunities. And it might not be the person that you met yesterday that's the person, but in a month's time, three months' time, it's someone they know who's looking for something, who's got an opportunity, they're running a company, they want some exposure, they like cars. Do you know anyone? Oh, yeah, I met that Fitz bloke. Oh, well, talk to him. It's, it's, that's the secret. Yes. That's the secret. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, I, I even had an interview with Lindsay Fox. Really? Yeah, because Lindsay used to come to Datna's to buy his wife some jackets and that, and I looked after him. I mean, seriously. More cash. than he normally would have. For yeah, and else. I looked yeah. after him, and I approached him. Anyhow, I remember I even got him when I spoke to Bob about the fact that I knew Lindsay. He said, "Son, you get Lindsay in here with me, and I'll convince him to sponsor you." I said, "Oh, okay." So then I worked on Lindsay, and I got him in with with Bob, 
And at the end of the discussion, he said, yeah, I'll back you. Come and see me in two weeks and we'll sort it all out. And that's where it ended. Because <laughs> every time I ring to make an appointment to see him, you know, and he, at one stage he said, you tell me you're going to do this and you're going to do that. When you've done it, come back and see me. And I thought, well, I need the money to do to it. To do it. <laughs> and um, horse cart, cart after, horse. Win- after winning um, uh, a championship or whatever, I bumped into him at a Sydney restaurant. And uh, he said, oh, you've been doing all right? I said, yeah, I've won a championship. And um, he said, oh, that's very good. I said, and I thought to myself, I don't need your money now, <laughs> even if you offered it to me. <laughs> Things change. Things oh, change. Yeah, yeah. When did um, – are we still an accountant right through this whole 70s Absolutely. period? We're still yep. crunching numbers at the day yep. job and pedaling race cars. But then, then I moved from Datner's – and I went into a consultancy role for about six months working as a consultant to a couple of companies because I, I found a few people that were suffering from cash flow issues and uh, I went in to try and help those com- companies. And then I decided I wanted to get more into management because the one thing lacking I found in management was common sense. Mm-hmm. Like hasn't changed, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do you go out and buy stock that you're not selling when you've got stock on the shelves? Mm. Sell what you got before you go and commit to new purchases that you can't pay for. Makes sense. Right? But so many people do it. Mm. Anyhow, I joined a company called Seligson and Claire in uh, as administration manager and looked after their they sell in the printing industry. Mm. And I was with them for probably seven years. During that period, I went from that job to marketing assistant because I gave them a Bathurst proposition to run a little Gemini with a guy called Ken Price. I was going to talk to you about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's on the list. And I said Ken approached me. It was his car, and he'd been running all right in that series. And I said, "Um, okay, you look after the car. I'll get the money. So I proposed to the management that they'd back us and I got us the money and um, anyhow at that time they had a bus that used to go around the countryside with printing presses in it and we demonstrated to the printers and I said at, at Bathurst there's um, every year Castrol put out a grid sheet. Grid card grid and you know card. the funny thing? Yeah. We now produce those grid cards. Do you cards do that now? Yeah. I yep. said so what I, I'm suggesting we do, let's take the bus to Bathurst with our latest printing equipment and print the cards for them in the pits. This is a good plan. Right? I like the plan. And I said, but we've got to still let Bathurst pay the printer that's the local printer they were using. Don't take business off them. Yep, yep. So they've still got to pay him, but we'll do it for them for nothing. So basically that's... That was the whole story behind us going to Bathurst. And history will show that the car didn't start because mm. it developed some engine missing practice and Ken couldn't get on top of it. So unfortunately, my first attempt uh, failed. Didn't get to the grid? Didn't get to the grid. But did you print the grid cards? We did. But you weren't on the grid card? No. <laughs> no. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> but we printed it and, um, yeah, that was a shame. But what happened after that was management said, we want to bring you up and put you in marketing because of the proposal I gave them. They liked the idea. They yeah. liked the thought so of So I ran a few stuff. sales promotions and whatever. And then I, they came to me and said, we'd like, we've just taken over a new agency from overseas in CompuGraphic photo typesetting equipment and we'd like you to come on the sales team. And I'm starting to think accountant, administration, sales team, dollar-wise, mm. am I going backwards? Anyhow, the managing director said, in two years' time, you'll come and thank me for this because you're, you're on base salary plus commission. Anyhow, in 12 months, I doubled what I was earning previously. Not such doing, a bad move. Doing sales, you mm. know. Mm. So I've tried to adopt what I learnt in that sales role and marketing into the way I approach my motorsport. Makes sense. And you've just got to give value to people, mm. you know. And over, over the years, I all my programs were about not just putting a sign on a car. Mm. It's more. You've got to do track days. 
You've got to make them come and feel good. Mm. Let them sit in the car. Let them talk about, give them a presentation. Stuff they don't get elsewhere. Correct. Yeah. You know? And when you look over history fits at your, you know, when I think of your cars and your race programs, you know, there were sponsors and colours that we instantly identified with you for long periods. Mm. There was, you know, it was Goodyear for a period, Falcon for a very long period. Yokohama. Great era. Yokohama in the proddy car days. You had long relationships. Yes. And clearly it's because of all this stuff. Yes. Well, see, the interesting thing is Yokohama, when I finished with Yokohama, the marketing manager went to Goodyear. Oh. And he said, you're coming with me. Oh, this all makes sense now. Right? So I went from Yokies to to Mm -hmm. Goodyear. A guy called Ray Altas was the marketing manager, top bloke. And then uh, later on um, I was introduced to – uh, Falcon, and um, and they took me on board as well, and I had them for seven years. Yeah, yeah, long period. Yeah, long period. Yep. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint May seventeen to nineteen. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. So I remember the so there's a period of Porsches. And I remember the – by the way, actually, before we get into that, the beard. I dug out some old photos. When did the beard fall away? Was it, were you always a bearded one? No, no, no. What was the go with the beard? I don't know. It was probably in the 80s. Yeah, When was. I was at Emory Park and that, yeah. running up there. I was – yeah, I don't know what brought on the beard, but eventually I started to see grey in the beard, <laughs> so I said, the beard's got to go. So – yeah, so then the beard went, and um, yeah, I couldn't even tell you the number of years ago. There's a photo on the wall there in the Commodore. I can't remember. I think that's in the nineties, sort of late eighties, early nineties. Sort of it would have been ninety because yeah. they banned the Supra yeah. and the RX sevens in eighty nine when I won the championship in the Supra. And then they went to the Commodores. And, and they Falcons. went to the Commodores, mm. and they wanted Commodore Falcon thing, mm. and I duked it out with Luke Yulden. Mm. Um, for that, that championship. But, um, yeah, probably come off that year, I think. Mm. <laughs> and then we, we have photos. We have photos. Oh, is that right? We, we, we can hold them in the files if you'd like us to. But, <laughs> you know, we'll see. Hey, that, um, that Carrera RSR in the 80s. So yep. that at the time, the Australian GT championship was kind of really the sports sedan championship under the GT yeah. sort of banner, but... Um, a great vision of Amaru days and various other racetracks and some and of the various great- guises too. Yeah, yeah. It, you ran that car for a fair while. Yeah, and yeah. Successfully against some of the you know the the big banger V8s and, and stuff Correct. like that. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Because I finished. Yeah, that helps. Right. Not many of them finished every race. Exactly, and that was that was my rule. That was all. That's always through my career in sport is to finish anywhere. You got to finish. Mm. And um, accept second when you got to accept 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 second. It's actually a tricky one when you yeah. try to say it fast. I'm probably it? the best second place getter you can know. <laughs> <laughs> they all add up the points. They, they do. All add up. They, they do. All add up. They, they do. They do. I mean, probably '84 was my most successful year, and I was running two cars at the same time. I ran the uh, Starion Turbo in the Bob Jane. The Super Series Group E thing, yeah, which I yeah. won. That was that would have been. Was that worth good coin back in the day? Interesting. Um, the the first prize at the end was um, was supposed to be worth twenty grand, right? I was ten grand in cash, and an eliminator boat, a boat, a jet boat, worth and, ten grand as well. Uh, or, yeah. or maybe not. I think it was one of the ones you couldn't sell. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think it's the de- the deals of motor racing are yeah, the best stories I've found on this yeah. podcast. The prize money, though, like in the in, it was a great series, and it paid right down to twenty. Never a bad you know? thing. And we had fields of forty four cars. It was huge. I remember seeing some yeah. of the vision. Yeah, and um, that that year sort of really helped and made me, I think, because um, I started to get offers with Bondi and Mitsubishi Australia and that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, that was – it was really great, great era then. I had a lot of success. I think I won 26 of the 36 races. Mm. Not a bad year. Mm. Against people like Bondi, Bartlett, mm. Brad Jones, those guys. 
Now, speaking of Bradley, so I've chatted with him over the years about things and he's told the story about his old man waving you down that they got a sniff of a chance to have a co-drive with you in a proddy race at Oran Park. Absolutely. Can we can we hear the story from your side where yep. Brad's version is that like he's trying to make it in racing. His dad Phil's got a sniff that there's this race on. It's a pro am type thing at Oran Park. At Oran Park and we we got a so basically they flag or he flags you down driving through Albury yep. to hit you up to do the deal Pull for me Bradley over in Wodonga. Really? Well, in your transporter? Yeah. So in those days, I was driving a Bedford truck, yeah, flat tray, with my Porsche on the back and towing my, my RX-7. Oh, sorry, my... The Starion. Starion. Yeah. And um, what he'd done is he, apparently he'd rung up various garages along the route from North Albury, South Albury, and Wodonga. And this is before the days of the bypass, mm-hmm. where you don't really go into Aubrey Wodonga anymore. Yeah. Now we do the drive to Bathurst every year. We don't go in yeah. unless we need to go for fuel. Yeah. In those days, though, you had to go through. Yeah. So he had all these spies yeah. set up along the way to and tell when they them- said, when you see this truck, give <laughs> give me a ring. And he rushed to Wodonga and flagged me down. And we had a chat, and next minute Brad joined me far and park. <laughs> And it's history now. We won the event. <laughs> the youth of today are going, just call the mobile. Just send him a text. Yeah. Uh, didn't work in 1984 or whatever it was. No. So, no. Um, I love those stories. They, they, they're just such good <laughs> stuff. Um, why the focus on the proddy cars? So the Porsche stuff is a long um, timeline for you over here. Right up to now, mm. you're a Porsche man. Um but the proddy car stuff was where you really made your name. The Starions, Correct. the RX sevens, the Commodores, and Supra. of course all the the Porsches, the Supras, a big part of the story too. Yeah. Why the focus there? Was that what fit the budget? The, the style of racing was up. It's your what alley? I had enough money to yeah. do. Yep. I didn't have enough money to get into into touring cars, and at the time, proddy cars were so popular and getting real good TV. And the plan was always to try and do the best I can, and I was hopefully going to get picked up. Mm. And, you know, I what hurt me a lot in my career, I think, was the association with KB mm-hmm. when he was with Mitsubishi and he was backed by Mitsubishi, and I was beating him. Mm. And he, he quite fancied Brad, and there was a period of time there where uh, when I won the Super Series Kevin ran in that series. I think the close he finished to me was third. And I don't know whether it embarrassed him or what it was, but I felt that he did his best to to sort of slow down my career. And he was always pushing Brad's uh, Brad's campaign. Anyhow, I got I got offered to drive with Mitsubishi as a second driver, I think for '85. Mm-hmm. And um, I also in the same year. I think I did Bathurst with Kevin. I can't remember, it was 84? Uh, yeah, it was 84. 84, yeah, yeah. and he, that was when he was preparing his own car. Yeah, it was just as the, the Group A class was yeah. – they ran a Group A class at Bathurst before it came in the next year. Yes. And you'd driven the Alpha with Bondi in the Sandown 500. But Correct. But he had Elfie Costanzo for Bathurst, and you were with KB yeah. and the Starion so Bathurst. I, I was more than flattered that Bondi – because he's my hero. Mm. He's the guy, like when, when I do talks at Lions Clubs and stuff like that, and I say to people, they say, what's the, the most exciting time in your history of motorsport? I said, Colin Bond coming to me and asking me to drive with him. It's pretty cool. I said, he was my hero for a long time, mm. and he's a top bloke, and that was more than flattering. Yeah. You know, because he ran, I originally was going to run an Alpha in that series. Right. Right, and I'd been talking to Mitsubishi dealership in Nutterwadding, and um, uh, I was talking to Alfa Romeo, uh, uh, Enrico Zanarini, who later managed Formula One drivers. Right, and, yeah, yeah. And every bloody time I ring um, Alfa Romeo, the car got dearer. <laughs> so in the end. I went with a Starion, the Starion didn't. and they lived to rue the day, <laughs> and they stuck Bondi in. To run that series. Yeah. And he finished second. Yeah, yeah. So you won um, 
Australian Production Car Championship in the Star in '87. Yep. The Super in '89. So the turbo cars really were the the cars to have in that sort of period. Yeah. Even there was a turbo Commodore. I think a lot of people forget the VL yeah, Commodore the VL. Turbo was was a thing around that time, and and they supported the Touring Car Championship at a lot of places. So while a lot of our fans draw back to late '80s and they're thinking. Dick Johnson, Shell Sierras, and Brock in a BMW, and you know Perkins hanging in there in a Commodore, and Nissan Skylines, and all sorts of stuff. The pro- I love looking back at that Prodi car era because it looked it was tough fields. Prodi car racing's always had a bit of politics connected to it because everyone's trying to mm-hmm. get to where they need to get to. Um, was it as tough and as tight as I sort of feel it was from oh, the yeah. outside? It, it got. It got tougher as it went on. As people, like with the Starion, we were quite dominant. I, I, being a sports person first, I'm not into cheating. Mm. Okay, so as as the guys started to learn about the Starions and that you could trick them up and cheat them, I concentrated on handling and brakes to get the best out of the Starion. Um, others decided they turned the boost up, and they had. All sorts of little tricks um, um, uh, to be able to do that, mm. and I became a little unpopular in, in the later eighties because I was trying to help the scrutineers to catch the guys that were fudging, and I said, "Start with my car," you know. And uh, there was a group of stallions that were running that clearly were quicker in a straight line, but on the handling circuits, I. I'd whip their ass. Um, <laughs> you can say ass. Sorry. That's sorry. not the worst thing we've ever said. <laughs> no. You've got a whole line to get to before we start to bleep or worry yeah. about any of that. You're right. You're and, fine. And one of the things is they, they turned the boost up and what CAMS eventually did is they banned the use of 100-octane fuel in 1987. And that's when they also announced the first Australian championship for production cars. And it was a two-round or two-race event at Winton. Mm. And basically it was between Brad and I. And I got pole, Brad got second. And what would happen if if you tried running higher boost without 100 octane, it wasn't hard to blow a turbo up. And in the first race, uh, I beat Brad. um, And then in the second race, he was climbing all over the back of me. And next minute, poof. There's smoke coming out the back of his car. So I'm guessing that maybe he might have just screwed it up a bit. <laughs> who knows? We'll have to who knows? We'll have who to knows? ask him one day. We'll ask him one day. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I love that. Um, there, I think there was a, a feeling of, because it was you know the Supra, the Starion, the turbo cars, and they there was a want to get to the Holden and Ford yes. thing in Proddy. So for 1990 yes. in Group A, they swapped it to, you know, the A Falcon and a VEN Commodore, I think Which was the I thing read. at the time. And you were the you're in the Commodore, and again it was it was tight, it yes. was competitive, it was yep. full on. Yep. Um, and, and Luke Yildon was in the Ford. He was oh, um, a um, front runner. Um, Ken, 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 Luke's dad, sorry, yeah, who Ken. sadly lost in, in recent times. Yeah. Um, the red 58 Falcon, I remember it vividly. I remember the Goodyear Commodore. Yep. There's Tony Scott, there's Roland Hill, Tony. there's um, Kenny Douglas, there's, yep. you know, there's Falcons, Commodores, the little Tiddlers, there's Swifts and Corollas and all well, sorts of one We were involved with Ken Douglas for quite some time, from the RX-7s through the Supras to the Fords. We knew Ken, you know, were associated mm. with him. Because uh, he used to live in Eltham. Yeah. Um, he's a top bloke. But um, we, uh, when we had the Supra, Ken also ran a Supra. But I had some backing from uh, Toyota at the time. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that year in the, in the Ford and Holden, it came down to between Kent and I at Oran Park. And um, he, he had protested the suspension uh, modifications on a the production cars. car race with a protest. I've never heard of such yeah. a thing. <laughs> yeah, he didn't make himself popular, and we all had to change our suspension. It was an interpretation of the rules, and he got him to agree to his interpretation. And at the event, we had to modify our suspension um, to new rule changes, which did slow us down. Anyhow, <laughs> at the beginning of the race, someone put him into the fence. <laughs> Was it Commodore? I'm not sure, but <laughs> he, he he didn't uh, he didn't finish, 
and I finished on the tail of, of Scotty. And uh, General Motors were a bit upset, at, or not a bit, they were really upset, because if I'd finished in front of him, because I caught him, and um, I think I qualified poorly, and I'd gone through the field, and I caught Scotty, and um, uh, he just held me off, and he won the race. I was second. If I'd won it, I would have won the championship. I would have, would have rather to swap mm. around there to <laughs> win the title. Win yeah, the well, title. more so to keep peace with General Motors as well, mm. you know. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. That period, um, the prodigy car stuff's going. So are you? is motor racing your full-time thing by that point or are you still got a day job? What, what's the, the yeah, way that's all working? Yeah, I was working. working uh, I, I got headhunted by our opposition when I was with Selig and Clare and uh, I got headhunted by another company in the same arena of type typesetting and I moved to the MAM International. Um, it was, I think, 92. Okay. So you're well in racing here. The I was, I was the working Porsches. till 92. Yeah. And then I went full-time at the age of 42. <laughs> <laughs> so you've I, st- I you started racing at, what, 27, did we say? Yeah. So was, in the space of 15 years, you've gone from starting pedaling to now yeah. this is my this is my thing. This yeah. is I'm all in. Yeah, because I had good backers like in Falcon who were with me for seven years, and uh, they, that enabled me. And, and I had a lot of other co-sponsors, mm. people that had come on board. You know, like Acer Computers. Yeah, I remember and, that. Yeah. And Acer, Acer then influenced one of their big dealers in in Melbourne. Um, uh, leading solutions. And I think they're closed down now. I, I think the GFC hit them pretty bad. Um, but they came on board with the same deal and money as Acer did. So they saved the bacon along with Enyo uh, in the very first, in 2003, when we Career ran Cup Career started. Cup. Yeah, I remember. Because what happened is I lost Falcon mm. because we had to run on Michelin tyres. Control category, yeah. So I had to find someone else, and I'd luckily met uh, a lovely bloke called Hans de Corti, and it was his wife's real business, Enyo, based in WA, and uh, he committed some funds to me so I could get going in Career Cup. And they were cleaning products because Correct. I remember the ads, Enyo, yeah. Enyo, Enyo. I st- oh, yep. Advertising works. It sticks in your head from 20 years ago. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's unbelievable. I wanted to touch on, so the um, – the Supra. So the car that you was the black car that you won the championship with. Yokohama. The Yokohama car. That was the same white car that won the twelve hour, the Correct. very first Bathurst twelve hour. And I want to hone in on that because okay. it's a it's a special part of history because the twelve hours become such a, a great event. The GT three um, era has really lifted it to the to the world stage. But in ninety one, it's kind of a twenty odd car field. It's a bit of a slapdash get it going thing with Vince Tessarero, James yeah. Hardy. Channel 10. So is it right that the car that you and Alan Grice and Nigel Arkell from New Zealand won the race in was that proddy car, but by that stage it had kind of become, was it your wife's shopping car at the time? It was mine. Yeah, like it had gone back yeah. to being a roadie. I put it back in road trim. <laughs> I put it back in road trim after 89 because um, all you could do to them was an exhaust and suspension mm. and brake pads. Yep. That's all you could do to them. So it wasn't hard to put them back to stock. Mm. Oh, and take the cage oh, out. Oh, cage, yeah, yeah. Right? So when they brought this race up and they changed the eligibility of cars, oh, this will be a good thing to run. Mm. So I changed it Because back it again. was out of the regular production car championship. It wasn't permitted. But under the 12 hour, yeah, there was, it was a category for kind of the older yeah. superseded cars. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and it ran like clockwork. I think it was one by two laps. Mm. And I set the lap record, 
I think, with about 20 minutes to go. And the guys would say, well, you slow down. <laughs> and I said, why? The car's through. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, and they were worried that I was going to bin it. <laughs> Is that one of the most – I mean, you won a lot of championships and races and stuff. Does that sit out? That's, that's your – you know, you had a few other Bathurst wins in other races and yes. categories. but. Does that sit out there as kind of the bannerhead one when you look back on it all? In a way, when you consider it was the very first 12-hour, mm. you know, um, when they started running GT3 up there, you know, um, the first years of doing that, they they come back and in the press conferences referred to the, he's the guy that won the first one, you know, and I was driving the Audi at the time. Um, but, yeah, it does stand out as, mm. as a big achievement. But, all- you, but the trophy is probably one of the smallest trophies I've ever had. <laughs> Honestly, it's up there. It's we're in Fitz's lounge room and kitchen, and you've got trophies and bits everywhere here. And it's he's going to go and show this to me. You can't see this, but we might take a photo of it and put it on our socials when we launch this episode. Seriously, that's the trophy for winning the first. Hang on a second. Hold this up. We're going to take a photo while we're recording of this trophy. Hang on. You, you hold it up here, so as we've got the proof. This is what you get for winning the Bathurst 12-hour. Seriously, it's it's not it's a block of wood with a ba- James Hardy 12-hour kind of thick metal Vagin. round and it's sitting on top. Like it's it's lucky if it's 10 centimetres tall. <laughs> That's <laughs> imagine if they rolled that out of the, the bottom 12 hour as the, yeah. the trophy for this yeah, you know, like, GT classic you think race. Of the money that's in it these days. Wow. <laughs> and at the time, I guess no one really knew what it could and would become uh, down the track. So yeah. um, how did you drag Gricey into all that? I knew Al, you know, because Al had done some production car races with me, like the Winter oh, 300. Oh, Winter 300, yeah. Because we won a lot of 300s. Yeah, that was the race to win, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, really, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, we ran the RX-7 there, we ran the Starion up there. And uh, Alan did one of the events with me, which we didn't win. I think Kenny might have run it, Kenny Douglas, because we uh, it was after, yeah, that was in the RX-7 Turbo 88 car, which um, the boys had done some preventative maintenance and inadvertently were changing hoses over. And what they didn't realise is one of the hoses that goes to the boost had a pill in it and they took that hose off, replaced it with a a hose, and because it had the pill in it, it would overboost. So it ran a whole flaming race missing with a miss. Stutter steps. I think we finished second or third. Mm. And so Gricey did that event with me, and um, I think Kenny might have won it. But um, I I did – we did a few 300s with guys like him – Peter Dane, mm. um, Tony Longhurst. Longhurst drove with you, yeah. He drove that. with me. We yeah. won with Tony. Yep. Um, so there's been a good history of some of the drivers. Alan Jones, I was a stand-in for Tony. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Got it, it's on my list. Okay. It's on my list. It's on my list. I don't want to jump you. No, no, that's right. And, and probably of all the Bathurst 12-hour winners over the journey, the Mazda years, then the Prodi car race came back, and now the GT3 and some of the you know, great Aussie drivers and overseas drivers who've won it, but... The third driver that year is probably the most unknown 12-hour winner in the history of the event in Nigel Arkell. I don't know anything about him other than he's a Kiwi. Yeah. How did he get into this yeah. mix? Yeah, I got a phone call from his dad hmm. out of New Zealand. Um, how he decided to ring me, I don't know. But he asked would I put him in the car and he sold me a bill of goods, including some money. <laughs> <laughs> and that always speaks, as you know. In a budget, never, never yeah. hurts. Yeah. So he paid for his ride and yep. came along and... Um, that was a rather rather funny drive. Um, he was a young, good-looking, good-looking, strapping bloke, and um, he wasn't particularly he wasn't as quick as Gricey and I. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know whether I should say this, but we, we sent the guys out at one stage to get him to do his stint in the car, and um, he, he he they went back to the truck to say, "Can you come on out?" He was getting trains to come. And he was otherwise engaged with a young oh. grid grid girl, <laughs> and, and we weren't going having a conversation. Detail. He was yeah, having a yeah. conversation yeah, yeah. with a local grid girl. Grid girl. Yeah. Okay, and that kept him busy. <laughs> and we said, "Sorry to interrupt you, but you've got to drive in a minute." <laughs> I'm sure, he's not the first, and I'm sure he's not the last. Oh, what happened to the Supra that won the very first Bathurst Twelve Hour? Do we know? 
Um, yeah, it got sold off as a road car. Right. Well, I turned it back to a road car. Yeah. And then I flogged it. I, I couldn't even tell you. It's that far back. So there could be someone driving around in that somewhere now yeah. who has no idea, idea the piece of Australian is. motorsport history that they're driving. Yeah. We've got to find it. Yeah. We've got to It'd do be nice to know, wouldn't it? We might, we, we might have to swap our V8 sleuth cap for our super sleuth cap. It <laughs> might be, it might be a, a plan that we do. Yeah. Um, that 91 year was, I reckon, in your career, very cool because you've, you've got the 12-hour win, which is – as time's gone on, that's probably become more special mm-hmm. as the, the history of that race has grown. I went to the Sandown 500 as a kid every year from Ballarat from the mid-'80s onwards in 1991. This will blow the, the, the youngsters' brains these days. So at the Sandown 500 that year, you were in pretty much every race on the bill on the Sunday that I saw because you were co-driving the BM with Alan Jones, filling in for Tony Longhurst, Correct. who was crook. You had your Commodore Prodi car and you're in the Porsche Cup race. Uh-huh. People don't do that stuff these days. No. It's kind of they've got to put all their focus into the one thing, but you've ended up with all of these things on the same day, finishing second in the 500. I mean, it's nuts looking back on it. Like, how did you do all this stuff? <laughs> I'm just crazy, you know, crazy enthusiastic, you know. <laughs> like you, you think of me now and what I'm going through with my health issues and I'm going to Witten on Saturday and I'm going to run – a lap dash if I can get round for I said, I've only got everyone's telling me not to do it. Yeah. I said, I've only got to do one quick lap. <laughs> it's only three Ks. <laughs> you know? So if I get that time in, I'll park it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, so it's just me. It's something's got to get you up in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's my love, my passion. Yeah. Um let's talk about that because we're sort of driven into that topic a little bit where we sort of dart around in these chats. We yep. try to keep it chronological, but we veer off here and there when things arise. So for those who don't know, cancer's been a, a thing that's been at you for, what, five or six years now? Six, years. Yeah. So what is it? Where are you at? How's it all travelling? I was diagnosed February 18. Hmm. I've never had any hint of having an issue. And I woke up one morning and I was cook. And uh, I went to the doctors, told him what happened. He said, get down, get scanned. We've got to operate. You've got a blockage. They operated, um, said, uh, you've got stage four bowel cancer. And, and not a hint. Not a hint. Just one day, bang. And they took 90% of my large bowel. Wow. And uh, said, you've got two years. The maths were no good then. Hmm? Their maths are no good. Last time I checked, we're in 24, mate. Yeah, but I told you I'm stubborn. You are. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I've got a really good oncologist who's been in a good a good medical team that have been looking after me. And uh, I, I had to go to chemo on a regular basis after that. And fortunately, I go to the Epworth in Box Hill, which is – was close to our workshop. I was going to say close to the workshop at least. Yeah, yeah. So I would walk down, I'd do the four hours of chemo, then I'd walk back to work regularly. Um, and I was because they said try and stay fit, try and stay fit. You know, so I tried to do all that, and um, we've we've sort of stalled it off with mm. various operations. Had one on my lung to remove a bit because it had metastasized. And then that was the end of 19, I think, or 18. And then um, I went through more chemo. Then I've had radiation. Uh, and then, unfortunately, in 23, they said, look, we're going to have to go in and take the bladder and rest of the bowel and you'll be on bags. Mm. And last year's been a worst year. I've had to put up with all the complications that go with that sort of mm. stuff. And it's been very unpleasant. Um, and I was glad to see the end of 23. Mm. And now I'm back on radiation again as of a week ago. And I finished that hopefully Thursday when they'll decide if they extend it another five days. And we're having this chat in, just to put the context, because we, this episode will come live a little bit later than when we're having the chat. So we're sitting here at the very end of January to, to put the time frame in for, for people who are tuning in to, to listen to this, whether they listen to the podcast maybe a bit later in the year or, yeah. or, or get it sometime um, down the track. So, yeah. But for all of that in 23 being a, probably the worst year from a health perspective, I see there's a trophy here 
from the Porsche Club Victoria. Yeah. How did you find the time to slip in a trophy win in 23? Well, they tend to have one, one event a month and um, we do support for the Porsche Club. So we go along, we'll take some mechanics out and Marina and I will go out and we'll cook them all, put on a, a, a table with uh, an espresso, coffee, tea, fresh fruit and bakery items during the day and I'll mentor the customers and so will Christian, my son, and uh, we'll put on a barbecue lunch. So they're all looked after. We've got mechanics there to do their tyre pressures, sway bar changes. Wings. Everything they need. They yeah, just can turn up and come and enjoy. And we'll have anywhere between 10 and 20 clients on a day mm. that we look after, you know. So, uh, and I run a car because I want to promote what we do. And we've had quite a bit of success with the new 718 uh, Boxster Ca- Caymans, mm. which are a 2.5 turbo. And um, we, we tuned a little uh, two-litre Cayman for a guy and they do 4.9 seconds, not to 100. Jeez. Right? But when we finished with it, it did 3.6. <laughs> I was waiting for a reduction in that time. And I thought, geez, that's just a two-litre. What if we got it 2.5S? <laughs> well, you are restricted by grip <laughs> when you do them up. And I didn't really beat the 3.5. Uh, 3.5 I got out of the um, the S Boxster that I ran. But that little S Boxster... Is competitive with 991 GT3s. Wow. And it has five lap records in the club. Jeez. And we went to a Cayman and we started to develop that, which we sold two weeks ago. And unfortunately, because I sold FRS to one of our partners in Evolve last year, so I've just got interest in um, twin turbo or Evolve technique now, which my son helps me run, and he also is running FRS. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, they, Alex wanted to sell the Cayman because the move from Box Hill to Burwood uh, was capital intensive with costs and much bigger premises, much bigger rent. <laughs> um, which is because because Alex is EMA Manthai. Yes. So that's our, that's in our shop. Yep. All those GD three cars and the Cup cars are in our shop. So. Um, I was really didn't have a car to drive in the club stuff anymore. And one of our other customers that we tuned his Boxster, a little red 718S, uh, he decided he wanted to sell and buy a McLaren. And I've ended up buying that off him personally. And I'm running that. Mm. So it's, I've done two events in that. And it was developed not to the stage of the first one. And I'm gradually changing. I was going to say it's not going to be like that for a long time. Yeah, is I'm it? about no. half a second away from the first one. <laughs> um, so I plan on. Oh, you're yeah. unbelievable. You're a shocker. You're <laughs> a shocker. I love it. I love it. It's great. Mate, The um, I can only presume we talked briefly a bit about the BMW stuff before and the B&H stuff. Yep. Was that the link to Frank from back in the day that got you the drive there or how did that all play out? Um, the first time happened back in, I think I had, I had a conversation with him over in Malala when there was some ruler came out about the James Hardy that required uh, the use of production car drivers. Oh, there, there was a sniff that they won't be introducing production cars to the yeah, race there at yeah. one point to try to beef it and up. And I had a word with, why don't you just grab some of the good drivers out of prod cars and put them in your BMW? And they obviously thought about it because then they offered me the run mm. at a cost, I might add, mm. but it wasn't much. It was like five grand mm. and he was going to give me a Guernsey in, um, in, with Danny Holm. Formula One, world yeah. champion of 67. Sorry, I so I reckon I could yeah, make that happen. I can make that happen. Yeah. So what happened was I agreed to that and I was to do Bathurst. Mm. And I went up for a test day uh, at Lakeside and um, I spent – the day there with them getting acclimatised with the car. And then on the Sunday, I was invited out on their boats. <laughs> so there was Dick Johnson's boat, Gricey's boat, Longhurst's boat. And that was the time when Longhurst and Gricey were not talking. Oh, yeah, they had, had the Alpha, the Alpha thing from in the 80s, right? yeah. So you had the boats moored out at... Was Dick in the middle between them? Both? Absolutely. 
<laughs> Absolutely. So I'm moored out at um, uh, whatever beach, uh, uh, what island it was off the coast, just close, the close, can't remember the name of it. But we were moored out there for the day. And you had Grice on one boat on the other side and Longhurst on the other. You'd driven with both of them yeah. and you were both, so you caught him in the... Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, and you know what surprised me that day? Dick and, and the guys, you know, um, were on the beach cleaning the beach. Clean up Australia Day. Uh, well, I don't know, mate, but I was impressed that they made the effort to go around and pick up rubbish that other people had dumped there. Mm. It surprised me that they would do that, you know. Mm. So that was impressive. It's a bit of an aside, I know. That's what we do on this podcast, mate. We are <laughs> the Tangent Kings. Yeah. So um, what happened then, I think it was the next week that I was supposed to do the 500. And I got a phone call on the Monday saying, hey, Tony's got food poisoning. Can you stand in for him with Alan? At well, you're going to be there anyway because you're Correct. doing the portion of the proddy car. Yeah. yeah. So I said, yeah, sure, I'm in for that. And um, But as it turned out, um, Alan those days was doing the telecasts for Formula One. Channel Nine. Channel yeah. Nine. So normally I would have started, he would have finished. But it turned out he started and I was to finish. Because he had to leg it to Sydney to do the Correct. Formula One coverage. Correct. <laughs> and the bugger, <laughs> in his first stint, he, he had a bit of an off on a curb and disconnected the rear sway bar. It was knocked off so it wasn't doing its job. So the thing was an understeering pig. And he came in, he pitted a little bit earlier than he was expected. He said, there you go, Fitzy, it's all yours. <laughs> and I tailed it. I struggled around for the rest of the race. And we, in history, we finished second. But I ended up with blisters after it. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, yeah, it was interesting. And, and I loved it, driving with him. He's a good bloke. And then we went to Bathurst with Denny. And they didn't finish. They had a mechanical failure. And Denny and I won the class and finished fourth. Yeah, I've got the photos. You're yep. up there on the podium in the day where yeah. top three outright got the podium, but then the class winners got their yeah. their chance to be and, up there at the podium as and well. And Denny was in his 50s, I think, then. Yeah. 54 yeah. or 5, he was top bloke. Yeah. And it was the next year that he passed away. Yeah, yeah. Because the next year I didn't get a Guernsey because they – they hired the uh, Europeans like Rivalia. Uh, they had Johnny Soap, Giacotto. Johnny Giacotto. Giacotto was there the next year. Yeah. yeah. And, and Paul Morris was obviously yeah. on the scene by that And stage I'd been too. up on the Saturday with Porsche Cup and sprinted back to Melbourne to watch the race on the Sunday. And I remember watching it with my wife. And um, when Denny went off, he veered to the left into the wall and down. I said, I don't like the look of this. Didn't look right. No, because he'd had a heart attack in the car, mm. you know. Mm. Bloody shame. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the next little era. I mean, you were you'd been a Porsche bloke right the way through there from your early time going out to Calder and yeah. banging around Continued in your lunchtime. Run. Yeah, but then we got the nine three uh, the nine six eight Club Sport. So the Proddy car, when this real Porsche Mazda thing really did <laughs> light up. So that that second year, the twelve hour really boomed. Mazda came in with the RX seven and and wiped the floor. But for '93, Porsche came on the scene with you and the 968 Club Sport, couple of cars, bunch of well-credentialed drivers. Wasn't the Falcon cars initially? They were the Hardy, no, Ducks, Hardy Ducks and the white and red cars. Yep, Hardy and, Ducks, Agfa or whatever. Yeah, that's it. Brett Peters was that's in there. Right. Um, Johnny Morgan, Smith, Jeff, Jeff Morgan. Morgan. Yeah. Um, um, I'm trying to remember them all now. Yeah, there's a few. There was. Kevin uh, Waldock was tied um, in with um, Smithy. Johnny Smith was in Johnny there. Johnny Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was Kevin Waldock. Yes. Waldock was in there. So there was a Sandown Six Hour, and you guys won that to begin '93. That was the debut of the. Now there's a story. Yes. I like stories. Do tell stories. Yeah. So I originally approached Porsche to run a 964 911 in the 12 hour, and the then uh, new CEO Nicholas Leutwiller, we used to call him Rottweiler. <laughs> he was a bit of a demon, but. Um, I approached them and they wanted us to get into the 6.8. They said, we're bringing out a club sport version, which was about 50 kilo lighter, had an LSD, and um, that was really only the difference. And he said, that's going to be here. So I um, I, uh, I agreed to do that. He said, but the only problem is it won't be here till January. Ooh, that doesn't allow much time to get ready, does uh-uh. it? Not when you've got roll cages to build and suspension to sort out because, again, the Freedoms were very brake pads. 
you could put a you had to have a roll cage, seats, and um, and exhaust. So I said, can you give me a a mule car? In other words, a normal nine six eight, which they had. So they supplied me with one of those, and we prefabricated the roll cage. We we put we put one in the, that car. We then did suspension mods and we did testing and all that and got the exhaust, gave us about another 10 kilowatts and so that when the cars arrived, we had stuff ready to bolt straight in because we only had like two or three weeks. And that's what we went to uh, Sandown with. And then I used to drill the blokes on pit stops at our workshop before we get there. And we try different stuff and try and get it right. And the Mazdas were quicker at Sandown. But where we beat them was in the pits with brake changes and whatever. Anyhow, in those days, you were only allowed four guys on a, in a pit stop to work on the car. But what I didn't know at the time was Tessa Rero was a bit of a puppet for Mazda. So when we got the Bathurst, the rules... Here we had, go, the Mazda Porsche thing. It's up again, it's yeah, up again. The rules had changed. We could have up to eight guys on the on the pit stop so they improved their uh, brake changes. And um, we, uh, like we ran first one and two at at, um, at Sandown, but when we got there, we ran um, second and third and then got excluded. Yeah, what was that for again? My front wheel offset was five millimetres out from spec the wrong way. Which wouldn't have helped. Which wasn't an advantage, right? And I, I, I was called up at the end of the race to answer the protest, and I said, I, I'm not even aware of this. And I said, we were given specs on the wheels from Porsche, which we had Simmons make up our sets, and we, we didn't think of it again. We didn't think of it again. Yeah. Anyhow, I, I first and only time in my history, I was uh, suspended, um, and I appealed it. And by the time I'd got to the appeal, uh, I ended up four months. I couldn't drive. But it turned out that after Porsche had advised me of the specs, they changed them and they hadn't advised me of the change. Uh. Needless to say, it was not an advantage, but it cost me four months. Mm. And um, it, the whole thing never came up again. Mm. And we ran them the next year. Nothing happened? Nothing happened. So um, that's when I brought Jimmy on board and uh, we were with Falcon Cars. I was going to say the next year they were the Falcon Cars. Jimmy was involved. I think yeah. Brad was in the second car. Yeah. Nicholas no. Lightwheeler was in your driving lineup too. I think he was yeah, in your I think car, so. wasn't yeah. he, from memory? But, yeah. but that became your Bathurst, didn't Correct. it? The 12 hour there. The, yeah. The 1000, you did do some racing. We'll, we'll cover off the great race stuff. But that became your Bathurst. That was your great race every year. Yeah, because we, we had success in. The six eights, um, forgetting about the the um, pro, uh, protest, and also then I I got approached to run after this. In between, I ran a Commodore. Oh, there was the Group A, yeah, Goodyear car, the, yeah, the VA. With a swimming pool rear deck, yeah, <laughs> yes, and that was the year of the Ute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, we built that for Gricey and Brad. Yeah, the Akubra right. Ute. That was quite a quick Ute. Yeah. You know, it surprised a lot of people. People remember it vividly. And both cars were quick. Both cars could have, well, probably our Group A we could have won. Um, and I think Brett was still with us then. He was, yeah. Um, yeah. But you know what killed us? We had to put FT3 fuel tanks in it and they delaminated in the race and they were clogging up the fuel filters. Yeah. And we ended up with engine misses and all sorts of stuff. More stuff. And that's what killed our race. Mm. Bathurst. Bloody Bathurst. Yeah, heartbreak. So 93, we get flung, Mazda win. 94, Mazda win again. It was second. You guys are second. Second and third. 12 hour disappears from Bathurst. Yeah. It goes. It goes Eastern Creek the next year. That's right. And we had the debut of the 993. The, yeah, the uh, RSCS. RSCS, which yeah. they're worth a pretty penny now, aren't they? Oh, yeah. They'd like be a very handy grand? thing to have tucked away. And they weren't 700 grand to buy. No, 200. 225. Do you know where that one ended up? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, oh, a guy really? called Matt Humphreys in Sydney. Uh-huh. He's got it because right. he's on my Facebook. Right. Facebook brings yeah. people together. Yeah. Brings people together. So that car, 
uh, I got pole. I did two laps. Bing. Mm. Got pole in that. At Eastern Creek. At Eastern Creek. Yeah. And um, I was driving with Jim. Mm. And um, we went, we had Yokohama backing and they were there. They came out for that race. But we had trouble with their tyres and we knew if it got hot, we were going to have issues. And um, we had to watch what pressures we ran and had to look after them and all that. And Bowie was driving for Mazda. With Dick in the in SP RX-7 Triple M car. That's, yeah. that's right. And um, during the race, we were running at the front and there'd been a, a, an incident that brought out the pace car. And unfortunately, the pace car cocked up and picked up the wrong leader. Because that's never happened before. That's mm. a common thing. And it gave Mazda another lap. Oh, I remember there was a blue battle. This oh, wasn't yeah. there. It was a bitter Porsche one. Porsche wanted me to pull out of the event. Mid-event? Yep. Mid-race? Mid-race. They wanted me to pull out. They said, this is bullshit. Shouldn't shouldn't occur. And But we could, but the Japanese would have lost face if we did that. And I said, we've got to keep going. Uh, I, because you, oh, so you were Falcon at that stage, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and it's kind of like, well, you've got to press on. Yeah. yeah. So we've got to press on. In its history, we ran second, but... I was trying to run down John at the end uh, and I ended up medal to medal on the front brakes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's that And that period was the last of, 12 hour. And that was the last 12 hour because it only was at Eastern Creek just the once Yeah. and then it was gone until I think it came back in 07 as a prodigy car race and that's another chapter of its, mm. of its history. But in that 94 year, that's when... FRS Fitzgerald Racing Services was set up, wasn't it? That's when 93, 94, 93, 94 that yeah. 968 sort of period there. Yeah. So was it do I remember right? I remember um, Bob Hiscock, who yes. worked with you for a long time, ran your cars. Like 38 years. 38? Jeez, that's long service, isn't it? I miss him like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. So um, he had prepped your cars though beforehand and then came to work for you yeah. at FRS. He was the reason I was successful. Yeah. Because his preparation was meticulous. His control in the pits, like we've always had, as you can see, we've talked about long-distance races. We've had excellent results. Mm. Our four days being long-distance, mm. got to be there at the end. And his pit strategies and all the calls he's made were right. And um, we'd often discuss over radio, you know, what we should do. Um, but, yeah, he's fantastic. And, unfortunately, um, Bobby... Um, I forget how many years ago now, but say over five years ago, he finished up with us because he, he's got, um, he first of all got Bell's palsy. That only lasted about eight months. Then he had two hip replacements and he got Parkinson's. Yeah. And then when I was in hospital in 218, I ring him up to have a chat and his wife said, oh, Bob's just got out of hospital for prostate. Oh. Um, so they've, they've moved down to Geelong now. And uh, I touched base with him about three weeks ago, actually. Mm. We're going to try and catch up. No, oh, good. I remember yeah. him vividly from your the, the Porsche racing when I was around make the Carrera them, Cup. Don't and make him like Nations those. Cup. Yeah, no, he was he was right there with, with you with, with all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, how did the Falcon deal come together? Because if, we, if I did Peter Fitzgerald Word Association with our listeners, or if I did Falcon with anyone in Australian racing, it's you pretty much. Yeah. Like they've done the odd other thing along the way. There was a GDR and a Maserati 12-hour yes. car, but how did Falcon come Okay, to so a good friend of mine was a guy called Mike Abbey who owned the Mag Wheel Centre. And I spoke before about networking. Mm. And, and he knew Spencer Gremmer, who was um, Hallmark Trailers in Queensland. They were the Australian distributor of Falcon Tyres, Otsu. And um, he arranged to get me an appointment with um, Spencer, who came to my home in Warrandyte one day, and we chatted, did the deal. Bang. Came on board, on the spot. That's and, good. <laughs> yeah, and it was a considerable amount of money in those days. And he just stuck with me all through, mm. you know, and they took me to Japan twice. They took the car to Japan once, put it on display um, at the uh, uh, Osaka uh, automotive show. And I learned one thing why the Japanese made car TVs. Because on the way to the show, they, uh, on what happened was 
the second day, I, was, I appeared on the stand on the Saturday, and the second day, um, I was, they were going to take me sightseeing. Anyhow, after the first day's success, they said, would you mind coming back for the Sunday um, because we had a good signature? Good reaction. Yeah, 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 good reaction. I said, sure, and that's what I'm here for. I'm here because give you back support you've given me. Yeah. And then I realised on the way to the, way to the show, there was a queue of cars miles long. We end up getting out and walking to the show. But they've all got televisions and they're watching, they're, they just read their, watch their television while they're waiting in the traffic. <laughs> so I figured that's why in Japan they, they made them. They had time to use them. Yeah, exactly. They had time to use them. But they were lined up like in the booth I was on and I'm thinking, who am I? You know, I'm just just some Aussie guy. Yeah. Who's this guy? All these Japanese guys and fans lined up down the road to get a signature. But Falcon has such a history in Japanese racing that if you're connected to them, then yeah. hey, you must be a big deal. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, Fitzy Sun. Very good. Fitzy Sun. Very good. Very good. <laughs> That's where my chat with Peter Fitzgerald on the V8 Salute podcast, powered by Castrol, is just going to come to a little pause. We covered a truckload there, didn't we? And the great thing is we've got another truckload to come next week. There were some stories I hadn't heard about, and there's been a few that I've actually been meaning to ask him over the years, so I'm glad that I got the chance to do that. Now, before we get to part two next time, Tune in for the Motorsport News Podcast every Tuesday and new in 2024, you can also catch the BJR Rundown from deep inside Brad Jones Racing in Albury, taking you inside one of the teams in the Repco Supercast Championship. There's regular episodes dropping right throughout the year here on our Motorsport Podcast Network. That's us done for this ep of the V8 Salute Podcast. I'm Aaron Noonan. As always, thanks for tuning in and spending some time with me. Send us your feedback via the form on our V8 Salute website. I'll chat to you next time. Bye for now. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.